listening to The Soundcheck. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to The Soundcheck, the podcast where we take a close look at the overlooked. I'm your host, Caleb Marks, and joining me today are two very special guests. First is Dana Gunther, the program coordinator of the Isaiah 117 House in Lynchburg, Virginia. Thank you for coming today, Dana. Thanks for having me. Next is Sarah Bond, detective with the Lynchburg Police Department. Great to have you on with us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, so we'll just jump right into it. Um, so we already have kind of your name and position, um, but could you tell us about just the roles that you guys have? And we'll start with you, Dana. Yes, so I am the program coordinator for the home. So right now when kids are removed um, from their home and taken to the Department of Social Services to wait, um, this wait can be several hours. And so we are uh, renovating a home that these kids can go and wait at instead. So rather than going back to the office um, in the cubicle setting, they can now enter a home with furniture and food in the kitchen um, and just loving volunteers ready to love on them and, and help in this, you know, awkward transition. So I am the program coordinator for the home. So when that happens, the caseworkers call me directly. I orchestrate which volunteers get to the house to meet them there. And we go from there. Okay, great. And then Sarah? Um, So I am currently a detective with the Lynchburg Police Department. Um, Been with the department since 2010. And um, up until October of 2019, I was in patrol for the city. Um, but I've been in the investigations role, investigations unit, um, just doing general investigations since October of 2019. Okay. Awesome. Um, so what well, first real question, uh, how did you guys get here? Um, what got you interested in this field and where did you guys come from? What was your journey? Um, my husband and I started fostering in 2017. And um, throughout the next couple years, we had fostered many kids. We had about 12, 13 kids come through our home. And uh, we saw this need and this gap of picking up kids who had been at the office all day and in what they were removed from. So oftentimes no clothing. And um, so so we saw this gap of how can we help. Um, And then in the meantime, we saw this video of a home, an Isaiah 117 house that opened in Tennessee. And this video had gone viral and some friends of ours uh, found it and said, you know, we should bring one here. And of course, it was just a big dream, pipe dream, you know, then. But we we learned more and, and learned that this was something we could could bring to Lynchburg. And so we reached out and um, ended up falling in love with this whole idea of what if there was a home so simple but so big Um and now we are one of 40 expansions in the U.S. Uh, we will be the first in Virginia. And so the, all of this really just felt like uh, like it was the right thing to do. And um, uh, we are still fostering. We still love love what we do. We have uh, two girls that we've adopted through foster care. And so we're excited to bring this home here and, and excited where God's leading us. That's awesome. Yeah. One new, one of those children is brand new, right? Yes, one is actually not quite. She'll be officially ours in May, um, so not yet adopted. But yes, a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, okay, Sarah? Um, so I had always wanted to be in law enforcement ever since I was a little kid. Um, but as many people find out, life just kind of happens. And Um, I got into law enforcement kind of late in life after going through several different job fields, um, banking, 
one of them. Um, I worked in actually the social services field for yeah. a little while as well. Um, so I, I enjoy uh, kind of putting all the pieces together and being able to follow a case through to its conclusion. Uh, when you first come into the police department, you work in, in patrol. Mm -hmm. um, you take initial reports, but you don't always see the resolution of the case. You don't get to see um, that, you know, the victims get closure. You don't get to see justice get served quite often. Um, so I really enjoy that part. Um, I like putting all the pieces together and kind of figuring all the things out so um, victims can get closure. Okay, awesome. Um, so just for our listeners who do not know, um, what is the one, Isaiah 117 house and like what is its purpose? It is a physical home um, that loves on and serves children awaiting foster care placement. Uh, to sum it up in one sentence. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just a home that's fully furnished. No one lives at the house, but it is for use of um, caseworkers and um, children that are removed from their home and, and entering foster care but have not yet found placement. Okay. Um, what is that opportunity, just the ability to work in that atmosphere, in that environment? What's it like? Uh, so our physical house in Lynchburg is not yet open. However, we've been able to, to serve kids um, being removed right now because the community has been so excited and dropping off donations that we reached out to DSS and we said, hey, I know that we're not open yet, but we've got clothes and shoes, so if you need anything, just call us. And so we, we have been able to pack bags so far for kids. They'll call us and say, I've got a five and a seven-year-old. They have nothing. And so we then have volunteers that pack bags. And so we've been able to build this relationship with, with DSS. And that has been extremely important and crucial in building this this bridge because, you know, the caseworkers don't necessarily have to use this house. This is a nonprofit. Uh, of course, we hope that they do. But in this two years of raising awareness and funds, we've been able to build this relationship with them and, and see them get excited. Um, and that now they're coming to all of our events and they're helping us raise money and they wear our shirts on Fridays. And so it's really nice to see that they're just as excited as we are. And so uh, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, what does it mean, Sarah, for you to be just part of law enforcement? Oh, wow. That's kind of a big I know. question. Very big question. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I see it as very much akin to someone who's been in the military. Hmm. Um, you, you're kind of a, a piece of the bigger team. Um, everybody's role is important, but there's a sense of being part of something bigger than just what you do. Um, and I just, I enjoy that. Um, I like the camaraderie and the, the family feeling. Um, I grew up with a sister. I don't have any brothers, but it feels a lot like I have a whole department full of brothers now. Um, so I, I hope that answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I saw that when interviewing you originally before we did the podcast, I saw that, um, having some fun and joking around and stuff in the department when we were over there. <laughs> that looked pretty fun. There's a lot of that that goes on, actually. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Over at where we work, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Lots of fun. We have a lot of uh, very good pranksters. Oh, good. That, that work with us. So we, we're not serious all the time, fortunately. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Uh, what is a little bit more of a serious question? What is something that most people overlook when it comes to, when it comes to foster care? especially like the foster care system? Um, 
I think that it's overlooked um, the trauma piece of it. Mm. I think that um, people can, um, you know, put kind of a sticker on that that's a little trauma or a big trauma, or but um, you you don't really know until you see it. You don't know how how much that can really change a child and the importance of these these crucial years. Um, so I think trauma is overlooked, and I think that um, just the importance of needing a, a village. Uh, I don't re- really recommend fostering alone, not necessarily sing- being single, but just without a, a community to help you, I think is really important. And um, we, we really value, you know, our, the saying, it takes a village. We really value our friends and, and the help that we need along the way because because you don't know really what kind of placement you get as a foster parent, um, not knowing when they say I've got, you know, we took four boys, 10, 11, 12, 13, I think was crazy ages. And you was just sure, but you know, until they're at your doorstep, you don't know what, what they've been through and what they need and then what you need. And, um, so our, our village is, is really crucial. Um, and I think that can be overlooked as to just taking kids and it's easy and, um, it's not all easy, but so I think that can be overlooked too. Yeah. And so what you're saying is like you, it was not what you were expecting. Getting it was into not it. what I was expecting getting into it. No. Okay. <laughs> what were some of the pre, uh, pre thoughts, I guess, on what you were thinking it would be, I guess. Um, well, I think, um, a lot of it is, okay. So you can, you hear the term foster to adopt. So, mm-hmm. you know, coming into it like, okay, yeah, we can, we want to adopt and, um, but what we really didn't understand and, and really now, I mean, looking back, I would say I was just so naive at the beginning. But now I, I truly understand, um, you know, you foster to return home first and foremost and how important and crucial, you know, ba- that relationship with bio families is and keeping that relationship and and all of that that stuff that comes with it. You know, I don't really know a better word to say, but um, there's so much that comes with it. So, so at the beginning it was, you don't, you don't know what you're getting into. Um, but keeping those values of foster to return home and, and doing the best that, um, you know, you can with as much as you know, but mm-hmm. sorry, I hope that was probably jambled, but no, no, good. That right, cool. your question. Yeah. Um, what's something that you would think say is overlooked with law enforcement? Um, and I think we talked about this I th- a little bit in our, our earlier interview. Yeah. Um, one of the the biggest things I think is that we have to be good communicators. Mm. Um, you have to be able to get along with people when you're responding to their house and they're in this awful situation. And, you know, that may be a situation where maybe their kids are getting removed. Um, you know, we do respond for those calls to help out the social services workers. Um, you know, we have to be able to talk with the people and, and calm the situation down and be able to kind of mediate that situation a little bit. I know Dana talked a little bit about the the trauma of the situation. You know, it's always kind of been my sort of personal mission. Um, when I go to a call, when I was still in patrol at least, even now in investigations, I, I want to be the good face of law enforcement. Yeah, And I want to show people that those preconceived notions that they have about, you know, the jerk police officers that don't care about anything and, you know, they're just there to, like, arrest people, that's not really true. 
Um, yes, we do arrest people, but yeah. um, primarily we're we're there to keep the peace, and we're trying to keep people safe and make the community better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of communication that goes into like the foster care system and stuff, just with the kids and. Yeah, yeah, and, and even um, I think back to those four boys who who had this pre you know notion of of law enforcement and and we got to talk to them and and you know explain these things but to to one point where it was a, a really the, these boys were they were boys and they always fought each other and to the one point where I'm like okay I can't break this fight up guys I I don't know what to do and I you're leaving me to have to call law enforcement I mean the police I I I was home alone I couldn't couldn't restrain them and they got I mean they immediately stopped and it was like well, please don't, please don't call police. And I was like, why, why did that scare you? I mean, and then we got to talk through it and, and, and it, a lot of trauma came up, came out of that, of this is what happened. Um, when I lived with my parents and this is, this is what, you, you know, so, so you get to work through these things and, and you don't know what they've been through truly. Um, trauma is just brings up so much. Sure. Yeah. Um, is for, uh, the um, largest amount of kids you've had at a time? We took those four boys already having one, so we had five, and that was oh, the most wow. we've ever had. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that was pretty insane. It was extremely insane. <laughs> yeah. Got you. Okay. Um, so in terms of just the foster care system, uh, why is foster care a thing, I should ask? And just for people who might not know, like, what is it and how does it work? Uh, well, foster care, I guess, to me personally, uh, well, exists to uh, remove children when they're in an unsafe environment. So when they're being um, physically neglected, uh, abuse, you know, all the many different reasons, it's to keep them safe. And so they then enter um, a home that's been trained. Um, so my husband and I went through 12 weeks of training, you know, the background checks, the home studies. And um, once you've passed that, you've you're become you've become a certified foster parent, um, and you're able to keep kids. Um, and then once you get your placement, you um, you have weekly visits uh, with whoever had them before bio mom, bio dad, grandparents. Um, and then there's there's a a year long process that you go through where you have court every few months, and the judge then determines what the best uh, next step is for that child. And feel free to intercede at any time. That's just my experience with it. Yeah. I I mean, I think more often than not, um, like she was talking about earlier, it's it's foster to return. Um, And that's probably most often what we see from the law enforcement side. Um, It's not always an abusive situation, but it may be just, an, like she said, an unsafe situation. Maybe it's a home that's not suitable for children to live in. Maybe... Um, you know, that parent just doesn't have the resources that they need to care for those children. Uh, and it, it's it's just necessary for a, a short term to remove them so that parent can get the resources they need, get the help that they need, kind of get back on their feet and allow that time for them to, to get the home ready for the children to yeah. come back. Um, we from law enforcement probably don't often have a whole lot of direct contact with the permanent foster care system. Um, we're primarily involved early on when it's usually just a temporary situation. 
um, and we're called upon to investigate and see, is there something criminal going on? Is there any need for criminal charges in this situation? Yeah. When that's decided, who do you go to and like where, what's that process like? Um, obtaining charges. Mm -hmm. well, uh, well, maybe not as much charges, but just like when there is a charge made. Um, so if if the investigation finds that there is um, sufficient probable cause to seek charges, um, we go before the magistrate and obtain that warrant. Uh, occasionally, if there is kind of a bigger case, probably most often with like a physical abuse situation, mm -hmm. um, they may take the case before a grand jury. Um, so instead of me going before the magistrate and testifying about the case and obtaining a warrant that way, um, a grand jury would hear the evidence and make the determination whether or not they indict that person mm. on the charge. Okay. And then it's turned over to, is it that when social services gets involved or is that more DSS? Um, social services is normally involved right at the beginning. Okay. Um, we most often work cases in conjunction with a social services assigned caseworker. Okay. Um, because it's usually, you know, the, it's a family situation um, and they would need to take certain actions such as making the decision whether or not the child needs to be removed from the house. Okay, cool. Um, if you could remind our listeners or either one of you, what's, what is DSS? Department of Social Services. Okay, cool, cool. Um, making sure I had that correct. Um, alrighty, and then next, uh, we kind of already discussed this, so we'll skip that. Um, unless you have anything else to add on, uh, well, we kind of talked about, uh, you and I, Sarah, earlier in the, um, interview, but, uh, for you, have, has, um, any law enforcement, Dana, like, been ever involved with anything that any of the kids you've, um, had to foster, or gotten the opportunity to foster? Um, yes, we took in, uh... A respite situation, which means more like, um, hey, we we can't, we don't have a foster placement at this moment, and we need someone them to stay somewhere for the weekend. Um, so we had two girls stay with us for a few days, um, and during those few days, um, the police needed to come and interview them um, and ask them some questions because they were older and they could answer these questions, um, and that was extremely terrifying. <laughs> um, I've never sat through an interrogation. Um, so for me, I mean, I'm just sitting at my kitchen counter bawling, listening to the questions that should never have to be, you know, asked to these young girls. Um, so yeah, that, that was the only interaction I've personally seen with, um, police enforcement and foster children. Although I know that that's, I'm sure a common thing, unfortunately, but, um, that was the only time I've, I've had Direction. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then as a foster parent and then also just as the um, coordinator for the Isaiah 117 house, what should the relationship be with law enforcement? Oh, I would love um, to have law enforcement there anytime. So the, the houses that are already open and do exist um, with open doors they have um, police there oftentimes when the children um, are needed 
escorted by the police. Uh, so oftentimes, like like you said, Sarah, they go and help with their removals. Um, so sometimes caseworkers request their presence there a little bit longer. Um, and so the the police officers are at the house. Um, and, and we want this to be a welcoming, you know, environment where, where we can hand them a cup of coffee if they need or, or go grab them some dinner. That really is, is our job. So we just want to love on whoever comes through the red door and they're welcome as long as they would like to come. So um, the houses that are open see law enforcement and they're seeing them more now that it's kind of just, you know, a nice place to stay and, um, you know, just a nice way to love on them. Um, but so, yes, yeah, so they do see them there oftentimes for removal. Sometimes, you know, there's uh, handcuffs involved or, you know, different scenarios where police law enforcement is required. Um but we have not yet needed them because we haven't been open. So, you know, it's hard to, I think the word will get out there um, to, to law enforcement. And I hope that it does yeah. soon. Okay. And I meant to ask this earlier. Uh, the Red Door. Yes. How does that play into Isaiah <laughs> 117 House? Yes. All the homes have a red door. Uh, the founder, Rhonda Paulson, who, who started the original home, she had this vision of a white house and a red door. So that was the first house that was open. And then, of course, when more started opening, you know, they kind of just all looked the same. So they all had this white house red door. Um, it was just kind of this vision that she always had. Um, but come to find out, learn that this red door does also symbolize many things. One being a debt-free home. No home opens unless they're debt-free. Um, it symbolizes the blood of Christ. It symbolizes back in, um, you know, the old days, a red door symbolized um, welcome. Come on in. Any Anybody's welcome anytime. And so these different things, it just kind of all happened ironically. But now, of course, every Isaiah 117 house has a red door. That's so cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. I noticed that earlier and I was doing research and I was like, wait, there's a connection here. There is. We call everybody our red door guests. That's what we call our children, uh, our, our red door guests. So uh, it's, it's a That's clever, so cute. cheesy yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. And then um, as a part of law enforcement, you kind of already answered this a little bit, but um, what has been your relationship with the foster care system? Um, yeah. So we, we don't have a whole lot of direct contact sure. with them. Um Basically, what usually happens, at least from investigations, um, we we would get a referral from social services saying, hey, you know, this this person called in and feels like, you know, this child's not being cared for or there's neglect going on or even abuse. Um, so we would team up with the um, investigator or caseworker from social services. We go out and we see the home. Uh, we talk with the parents that are involved. Um, depending on the age of the child um, and the situation, what, what's been reported, um, we may or may not interview that child. Um, you know, certain, certain topics such, such as sexual abuse, we don't interview small children about that. Right. Uh, we have very specialized interviewers that have been trained specifically to interview children about those sorts of things. But, um, you know, we, we go out and we, we check out the home and see if it's a safe environment for those children. Um, after that, we would then, if necessary, obtain charges like we talked about mm -hmm. um, and then just go from there. Um, and then this kind of goes right off of it, and you can start if you'd like with this. Um, sure. How has local law enforcement impacted the foster care system in your perspective? Is it like more of a good thing, a bad thing? Do mm. you see... 
I would love to say we haven't had any effect on it at all. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think probably, like we talked about a little bit already, there's trauma that we don't realize from us being called. Um, and that's an unfortunate thing. I know we're trying, you know, we, we do our best not to cause further trauma. Yeah. But, um, you know, a, a stranger in a uniform with a whole lot of stuff on their belt showing up at the door and taking mommy or daddy off in handcuffs is not a great thing from a child's perspective. Uh, you know, they, they, they know this familiar territory and we're kind of taking them out of that familiar territory. Even if it's not the best safe environment for them, that's what they know. So, I mean, I would be pretty naive to overlook that aspect of it completely. Uh, again, I would love, like for that not to exist, but, um, you know, it, it's a sad fact of the situation. Yeah. And going off of that, would anything to add to that, I suppose? I, it's funny. What, what you say is what we say all the time. I mean, even if it's the wrong thing for them to stay there, it's all they know. It's their pets. It's their grandma. It's their school. It's their neighbors. It's what they grew up in. It's what they know. And so that's, we can't take any, we can't change that. Coming into the this Isaiah 117 house doesn't change any of that. Uh, and all we can do in that moment is say, what do you need? What do you, do you want Chick-fil-A? You want a movie? You mm-hmm. just want to sit in the quiet? Do you want to talk? Do you not want to talk? And that's all we can do because it's, like you said, it's, it's already happened. And so it's unfortunate, but. Yeah. Um, and then. Are there any changes and improvements that do you, you guys would think that could be poss- potentially made so that um, just with the current system right now, if any? Ooh. It's a um, bit of a wide question. It is kind of a wide question. Um, I think you and I talked about this in our earlier interview, mm-hmm. um, and, and I can't say that I know this for a fact, but it's always seemed to me that Children that are in a long-term foster care placement maybe don't have the support system once they age out. Mm. Um, you know, when I graduated from high school at age 18, I had parents that I could go live with if I needed to. Or, you know, if I couldn't find a job, they were able to help me out. Children that are aging out of the foster care system may not have that support system. Yeah. So I feel like there probably needs to be additional resources, um, some sort of mechanism in our community to help those kids and support those young adults so they don't end up living on the street or committing crimes to support themselves because they don't have any other option. Okay. I would just say... Aside from every county needs an Isaiah 117 house, and I hope and pray that one day that happens, um, I would really like to see and advocate for more resources for bio parents. Um, As a foster parent, when you get a placement, at the drop of a hat, I could have meals, I could have clothes, I could have uh, cribs. Um, In fact, I I do have all of those things when we get a placement. But when when children are, are placed back with their bio parents, it's like, okay, good luck. Here you go. I mean, there's nothing. I would love to see a, a, a bigger support system for bio parents because they are doing everything that they can do and that they know how to do. Um, but in my opinion, I don't think I don't think that's enough. I think that they need more support. Yeah. So that's my next nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a good point. 
Um, I know there are some programs in the area, of course, the names of them escape me right now because I had a case within the last couple of years where um, the social services caseworker was there with me and was asking the parents, you know, what, what can we do for you? What, can, what do you need? Um, and they were naming off things like, oh, we could use a new bed for this child. Um, and she had the name of a, this wonderful church-based program. It was multiple local churches um, who have kind of banded together to try and provide those sorts of things. Wow. Um, and they can provide furniture. They can provide small amounts of money, you know, if they need car repair to get to work or that sort of thing. Oh, so that's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. that was really nice to see. That really goes along well with what you were saying, just on community and this village yeah. that yes. is necessary. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's really impactful. Um, okay. And then uh, where, where are you hoping to see your selves, I guess, in the next couple of years, um, just in law enforcement and the foster care system? Um, well, my husband's terrified that I'm going to take home every child that comes through the oh. Isaiah 117 <laughs> house. So <laughs> I think that we will be fostering for a long time. I think it's in our heart and our blood and, and our, our five-year-old who has, she was our first placement. So she has seen all of the kids come and go. So now it's pretty common for her, I guess. And she's She's asking me all the time, when are we getting our next friend to come stay with us? And I want a hundred. I want a hundred friends to come stay with us. And so I think that she's loving it um, as much as we are. So that's a blessing too. But I, I, I see us fostering for a long time. That's really sweet. Well, I think I'm going to be in law enforcement until I retire probably. That's I good. hope to anyway. Um, and probably stay in investigations. It feels like a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's... So much more that I could learn. Uh, there's never, there's never a case that comes along where it's just like the last one. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to figure out. Um, you know, some new way I can work on that case and help people. So, um, for people who want to, this is more directed at you, Dana. Um, for people who want to learn more about the Isaiah One Seventeen House and how they can either impact that or help out more or get involved, what could what could our listeners learn? Yeah, so um, we are about eight to ten weeks away from opening our doors. When that happens, uh, the house is fully run by volunteers. So that each house has one or two program coordinators like myself, and then everybody that comes to the home when children are there on their way that's all volunteer run so each of our volunteers need to have gone through our training and background checked and all of that Um, but we just need you know a sufficient number of volunteers ready to jump in day or night Um, and so if they're willing to do that um, we have a website isaiah117house.com we also have a facebook page isaiah117house lynchburg va um, and can find out more information that way. Um, but if they're, even if they're not ready or willing to, to necessarily work with children, there's plenty of other ways from upkeeping of the house, you know, mowing the lawn and, and making frozen meals for foster parents and um, just upkeep of the home. There's uh, also that as well. And then we have many other ways to get involved, such as, you know, drives, clothes drives, because we need to keep our, our giving rooms stocked. So there's there's many different ways to get involved, but I'd say the best and easiest way is to check us out on Facebook and, and shoot us an email or a message if they want more questions. Okay. And then, and you, I think you mentioned this when we were talking earlier, um, 
There are already volunteers in training, correct? Yes, we had our first volunteer training. We had 58 people show up, which was amazing. Um, So we're excited um, to get them approved and to have our first sort of batch of of volunteers ready and excited. Uh, But we'll be hosting these trainings every couple months because we we know people's schedules change and life changes. So we'll just be constantly training new people um, and would would love anybody who's willing to, to help. And that's 58 for just one house. It's 58 for, for one house. Wow. Yeah. It's exciting. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. And we won't just service Lynchburg either. I don't know if I mentioned that. So if Appomattox calls or Bedford calls or Roanoke or Charlottesville and they're willing to drive and the house is not being used by all means, uh, we, we welcome them, which is why we want houses in every county, of course. But uh, we're a private nonprofit, so we can sort of do whatever we want, which is nice on days like that. So the, op- the homes that are open have see children from three plus hours away because they are desperate. Yeah. Caseworkers have wow. kids who have been there for multiple days who just, I'm already getting calls. Just a couple days ago, it was a call. Hey, I'm a caseworker in a county I'd never heard of. I looked it up. It was two hours away. She said, I've had this little boy in my office for five days. He just needs a bath. Can I come use the house? So I, I think that is going to be used on a daily basis. So I think our 58 volunteers will be uh, used quite a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. How many, yeah. I meant to ask this earlier, um, how many kids can stay in the house, are able to stay in the house at once? Um, so there's a boys' room and a girls' room, and there's two trundles in each bed. So there's four beds, so eight beds total in the house. However, um, that is the d- left up to the description of the caseworkers. Mm. So if they want to overlap placements, that's up to them. We are simply, we're not babysitters. The children are not left in our care. We do not make those judgments. We are simply the hands and feet. What do you need from us? But here's the keys to the house. You know, you guys, you do you. So um, if multiple placements want to overlap, that's up to their discretion. Okay. Awesome. Um, And then uh, Sarah, how can people get more educated and on how they can participate in their communities and help both law enforcement and tough situations like the foster care? Yeah. Um, so we do have a Facebook page. We also have a very active website. Um, I would recommend people go to that. We have lots of different community events that we participate in. People can come out and talk with the officers that are there for those. Uh, we also have a ride-along program. Um, I believe it is now back and running. It was kind of in a hiatus because of COVID for a long time, um, but I believe it's back running. Um, you do have to be over 18 to ride, so unfortunately for that. But um, we also have, you know, little programs like Coffee with a Cop. Um, I've participated in those before. You just go and have coffee, and people in the community can come and ask you questions, anything they want to know. Um, We also have a program, Citizens Police Academy, um, which um, people should be able to find information on our website if they're interested in that. Um, It's, I want to say, about eight weeks long. Um, I should know that. I'm sorry. (laughs) But um, they can come, and it's a weekly evening program, and it's sort of a, a mini police academy. They get to experience a lot of the things that we learn as we go through the academy. They get to practice doing a traffic stop at night. Um, they bring the canine officers come in and bring their canine partners and do demonstrations and um, lots of different cool topics that they learn about. So Okay. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then anything you guys would like to add in closing to potentially encourage our listeners on any of the topics that we've talked about today? 
Um, uh, I would encourage you, I guess, with uh, foster in regards to foster care. Um, even if you don't feel called to foster or, or are not in a position to open your home for whatever reason at this time, uh, there are ways to support a foster parent um, or even as simple as something like the ASA 117 who supports foster care. But I mean, you can, you know, offer a date night or um, bring a meal over, um, just check in on your foster friends. Um, that That means the world coming from a foster parent when someone... I had someone just when I had those when we had those four boys bring over a, a dessert and it just wasn't I could care less about the dessert but it was the the thought that counted you know with her just stopping by so so just check in on friends and even if you you can't foster there's ways to support people who who do and the whole foster care system yeah takes the village it takes a village I'll say it till I die <laughs> um I guess I would just say that um I hope people know that police officers are just people that live in the community, just like everybody else. Um, we really do want the community to be a better place. We try and do that. Um, I think I speak for the department when I say that we are we want to be partners with the folks in the community, and we hope that we are doing a good job for them. Okay. Well, thank you both for coming on the uh, the podcast today. Yeah. Absolutely. I will add a funny story if you think Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> it just came to me. I can't believe I forgot. So we had a f- some foster placement uh, kids, and I was exhausted. I was I was so tired. These kids were not sleeping. And um, I made frozen pizza for dinner, and I left the cardboard on the pizza. I think you guys know where this is going. Oh, no. Huge flames <laughs> in my kitchen. The middle of, I mean, the afternoon. Get all the kids in my backyard. It was so big I couldn't put it out. Of course, the fire department has to come. Of course. And not just one truck. I'm pretty sure there was like seven or eight because there was some training and they were all bored. They were all there. They all wanted to get out of the training. (laughs) So all the whole fire department came to this. I'm mortified. Kids are laughing at me. I'm just like, oh. But really, I mean, they stayed there for hours. The kids got to talk with these firemen, and it was the best afternoon. Yeah. I think that God did that on purpose because they got to have this positive atmosphere. That's awesome. Light and twist on it. So I still made fun. My husband took a picture because he had come home, and so it's all documented, and they throw it in my face all the time. But um, it was a great afternoon with law enforcement, and I I just forgot that story. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, that's all for the show today. I wanted to thank both Dana and Sarah for just taking time out of their week to come join us. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And then uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and check out the YouTube channel for a lot more of this content. And as always, thanks for listening to The Soundcheck. Check.